Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Fergal Trainer. Episode 13, 13 unlucky for some, as it would turn out unlucky for me. But before I get to that piece of bad luck that I encountered recording this episode, uh, I'd just like to say if this is your first time listening to Feckin' Metal, you're very welcome. The chances are it may be your first time listening because of my guest today, which is Nesbitt from uh, Talking Maiden and the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast. Um, I've known Nesbitt for a couple of years. Met him in London a couple of years ago at an Iron Maiden show. Uh, actually, in the Cart and Horses before an Iron Maiden show. Um, and we've kind of chatted back and forth ever since. And I've had him previously on the podcast a few weeks ago, or a couple of months ago at this stage. And for this week's episode, I thought we would talk about the new Iron Maiden release, Knights of the Dead. Now, uh, a couple of people have mentioned on Twitter, oh, why can't Talking Maiden come back and do a special episode on Knights of the Dead. And believe me, there's nothing I would enjoy more than listening to one or more episodes of Talking Maiden about the new live album. But I did check with Nesbitt beforehand. I asked if there was any chance that he and Josh were going to do a special episode uh, to cover the new live, live album. And I said I would never like to get in the way of that if that was the case. But it turns out it wasn't the case and that they had no intention of doing an episode. So then... I asked Nesbitt if he'd be willing to be a guest on uh, Feckin' Metal to talk about the album instead, and he agreed. So that's why this episode is here. And, you know, if you are suffering withdrawal symptoms from Talking Maiden, so am I. It was my favourite podcast. I loved it. It was my top played podcast of 2019, or sorry, 2020. Uh, I just got my Spotify stats today, uh, and I I really miss it as well as everybody else. So I hope that this can give you at least uh, something in the way of... Uh, talking Maiden nostalgia or can fill the void that has been left by Talking Maiden. Now, if this is your first time listening to Feckin' Metal, I would like to apologise in advance for what you're about to hear. I recorded this podcast uh, about uh, several days ago at Nesbitt anyway, and we were um, recording away and I warned him at the start that I was going to have to change rooms halfway through because my housemate was coming back with her friend uh, and they were going to be in the kitchen. Um, So this is about eight days ago or nine days ago by the time you hear this. And um, it was uh, Thursday of last week and we were um, going working away on the podcast for the first uh, 40 50 minutes or so and i said hold on a second nesbitt i'm gonna have to change rooms it shouldn't be too much of a disturbance or something to that effect and i I changed rooms and i switched into the bedroom and that seemed fine at the time sat down and started recording again now the only thing happened that happened was my audacity stopped recording and i couldn't get it recording again so i said "Ah, fuck it it doesn't matter i have the zoom audio anyway as a backup i always use the zoom as a backup um so when I went to actually listen to the episode only a couple of days ago, I'd left it just sitting there for a long time. I realised that after I moved room, there is some weird change just to my voice, not Nesbitt's voice. So Nesbitt sounds completely normal, and I sound like I'm a person who's doing a reconstruction for Crime Watch, and I'm giving my side of the story, and they're deliberately distorting my voice so as not to conceal, or sorry, so as not to reveal or to conceal my identity. So I start off talking in my normal voice. And then in the second half of the episode, I start talking like this, like I'm on Crime Watch and it's a reconstruction. And I did my best to try and salvage it and make it sound a bit better. I messed around with pitch adjustments. Um, The only problem is it's all one audio file. So when I adjust the pitch, I also adjust the pitch of Nesbitt. So it makes me sound more normal, but makes him sound more like a chipmunk. So... I couldn't put too much pitch adjustment on it because it makes it sound ridiculous. I couldn't find a way to separate the two audio uh, vocal files from the one actual audio file. 
or sorry, the, the two vocal tracks from the actual audio file. Couldn't find a way to do that online. I know you can separate vocals from instruments and drums from bass and all that type of stuff, but I couldn't find a way to separate one voice from another voice. So what I've done is I've made a slight pitch adjustment to uh, the audio in the second half of the episode, and it does sound a bit shit, to be honest. But I think it's listenable, and I think it is worthwhile to keep that half of the episode. And Nesbitt did offer to re-record the second half with me, but I thought there was a lot of interesting and spontaneous conversation in there, and I think that's really hard to recapture uh, in, in the the last two years of doing podcasts, I have had to record some episodes before because it didn't record properly or there was um, the file was corrupted or something happened where it just wouldn't work. Um, the file wouldn't work properly after it had been recorded. And trying to recapture spontaneous jokes or trying to cover all ground on a re-recorded podcast episode is just never enjoyable. And it's never as good as the first time because you lose that spontaneity. So I've kept the file in. The first half of this podcast cast sounds normal. The second half sounds like a crime watch reconstruction. I'm sorry about that, but I think the content is there and I think the material is good and the conversation is good. And Nesbitt, as ever, was an exceptional guest. He has all of the stats and info and can think of facts and figures and information about Iron Maiden uh, off the top of his head. And that's always very interesting. So we go off on loads of different tangents here, but we mainly stick to a track-by-track analysis of the new live album, Knights of the Dead, which was released uh, last month. And uh, we give our um, kind of verdict on it at the end as well. Don't really rate it out of 10. Well, I I don't anyway. I'm not much of a, a rater or, you know... A, compiler of lists but we do give our overall opinion on it at the end um so i hope you can stick with me through the crime watch reconstruction sounding uh, voice later on if you do fair fucks to you um if you don't and if you never listen to fagin Me- <laughs> if you never listen to fagin metal ever again i don't really blame you because this uh this podcast is a bit of a slog when it gets to the second half um but you know what you might enjoy the first half and then you might just drop off there Whatever you decide to do, thank you for tuning in so far and thank you for listening to Feckin' Metal. If you'd like to contact me, you can reach me at Feckin' Metal Cast on Twitter. You can reach me at uh, Feckin' Check In, which is the parent podcast, on Facebook. And it's feckinmetal at gmail.com if you'd like to contact me. I won't keep you any longer. This is a long discussion. And this is Nesbitt from Talking Maiden and the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast right now. All right, so we have Nesbitt here from Talking Maiden and the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast. And at this point, I'm just going to say my friend, Nesbitt, because it seems like that's where we are now at this point in our knowing each other for a couple of years. Are you okay with that? Oh, yeah. Old okay. mates from the curtain horses. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because uh, I, I thought it was quite formal the way I introduced you last time. And I was like, uh, I'm actually like talking to you regularly. Like, so I think we've, we've gotten past it. Yeah, I think formal. I talk to you more than like half my friends so. yeah same, <laughs> even same though you're here. living in another country same here and i've met you once it's, it's weird yeah, i know <laughs> uh, my, my longest oldest friends barely speak to them uh, okay so yeah we're we're um gonna talk about uh, knights of the dead the legacy of the beast live album which was recorded in mexico city uh, and was released recently uh, to much fanfare i'll say um, a highly anticipated album it seems to me that this is more anticipated there's more fanfare around it than there was for um the live chapter do you get that impression as well yeah for sure i think maybe where we're in a pandemic and people are hungry for you know any kind of maiden content or any kind of uh music i think that this one yeah it seems like there's more buzz around this one definitely and i think maybe it's the set list as well just because they 
are playing stuff like Flight of Icarus and, and For the Greater Good of God and things that they hardly ever played or never really played um, for years. Um, so yeah, Much Fanfare was released there recently and uh, it was released, but a lot of people still don't have it, do they? Yeah, I am <laughs> one of those people. So you'll notice I'm wearing uh, my tough, or, uh, tour shirt from that tour. This is the Canadian, it's Eddie Ryan, oh, yeah. uh, Grizzly Bear. Very nice. And uh, I'm not wearing my Knights of the Dead shirt because I don't have it yet. Mm. So I pre-ordered on October 1st. So me and Josh, the day they announced this album, we both decided we were going to pre-order whatever bundle they had. And we're, we got them both on the same order just to combine and save on shipping. So that was October 1st. And then release day came. There's nothing. There's no shipping notification. My order still said not shipped. Mm. Um, I actually went on Amazon because we ordered the colored vinyl. I went on Amazon and actually bought a copy of the black vinyl. And that showed up here six days later from Amazon. But as we speak, still not shipped. And we're a week past the release date and uh, nothing. But I did get an email saying that, like, there was an error and, you know, a bunch of them. There's a, anyway, I got an email. They were explaining that there was some kind of mess up with the orders. And anyway, they're refunding my shipping, which was actually $51. So well, okay. <laughs> that's not that's, too bad. That's yeah. fair enough. Uh, I, was, I was just saying to you before we started recording there that... um. It's been a bit of a PR disaster, and I was saying it's almost like they're trolling fans online on Twitter. They're like, so what's your favorite track from the album? And people are like, I'd know if I had it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, be a huge PR uh, disaster. Is it anything to do with the vinyl plant processing? Because I've had a couple of records that are due to be here, like the Eternal Champion one is one, and the Glacier new album, and I think they were delayed due to vinyl production, but this isn't that, is it? No, because there's people that order them from Walmart that have them. And it's like, I got my Amazon ones, unless maybe it's the colored vinyl. They didn't really say it or explain, but it was very, very frustrating to see like all these people online, like reviewing it and I'm listening to it on Spotify, but it's not the same. Yeah. You know, refunding my, all my shipping. I mean, it was 29 pounds, which is like 51 Canadian dollars. And um, that, you know, I don't mind if you mess up with you fix it <laughs> so but i'm still kind of frustrated not to have it yet did you order from amazon.co.uk no i ordered from whatever the link was on the iron maiden store oh okay right yeah so, so their own yeah. shop uh, they sent the email like press release out or whatever and i clicked on that and then clicked through and just bought two of the deluxe packages can i ask you a question here yep, yep. i think shipping is horrendous it costs a fortune like to ship uh, if I want to buy a, a vinyl record from a band on Bandcamp, which I would love to do because Bandcamp only takes 15% and the artist gets 85%. And there's no other online place where the margin is that small. Um, but if I wanted to buy an album, I have to pay $25 shipping and $24 for the album. And I, that's insane. So I've I, had I that happen to me lots of times on Bandcamp. I can't justify it, but like, what, what, what would the cutoff point have been for you? Like, how much would you be willing to pay for shipping? Because £29 to me or $51 is a lot of money. Yeah, well, we ordered two of those packages. So it's two packages of the vinyl, the CD, the shirt. I mean, it's a big package, I guess. Okay, so that's so, split in half, the shipping. And that's split in half between me and Josh. So I paid $25 shipping for mine, my half, yeah. Okay, uh, so what's the most you would have paid? <laughs> Or, or would you just know. pay it? <laughs> it's funny because October 1st, we get this email and we're like, oh my God, a new live Maiden album. And you kind of go into this like, your brain stops working. <laughs> mm. And I just clicked through and ordered it. 
And I was like, hey, because that shipping's expensive. And that's when me and Josh decided to combine into the one order. But uh, I don't know where the cutoff would be. That's probably about at the cutoff. I don't think I'd pay much more than that when I could just wait and probably get a copy somewhere else later. Yeah. Um, and that was the whole thing with the, the pre-order too, was that I wanted to get it on release day. Of course, yeah, that's that's the whole thing about pre-orders. Eh? You want to have it before anybody else does. Um, mine is in the country, uh, but it's in my girlfriend's house, so I have seen it, a picture of it, but I do not have it yet. So I haven't had the pleasure of the physical release at all. Um, but you, you've actually ordered for yourself four different versions of this album. Uh, and <laughs> that's to So me. I have the deluxe CD and the, and the colored vinyl coming in this package. Yeah. And then I ordered a black, the black vinyl version from Amazon, which I have now. And uh, I'm going to get the regular CD too, just to eventually to put into my shelf where I have all the Maiden CDs. So it's a completest kind of thing, is it? <laughs> it kind of is, yeah. I don't know. I get caught up in the hype. <laughs> and like when, let's say when the live chapter came out, do you own multiple versions of that as well? Uh, yeah, I have the CD and the vinyl, but that's it for that one. Okay, I, I don't even yeah. have that. I don't. I feel like a, a false fan, uh, but I never bought it. I, I, don't, I wasn't too excited when it came out. I don't know why, because I saw them four times on that tour. But I, I, for some reason, it didn't grab me like this one has. Um, I'm much more excited about this. Um, but uh, before we get into the music, let's talk about the artwork. So we've got Eddie. He's wearing like a Mexican kind of getup. Um, <laughs> I have my opinions on this about why they chose this show, um, but we'll get to that later. But he's wearing kind of like a formal looking waistcoat and a jacket <laughs> i know it's a weird cover <laughs> it's basically their legacy of the beast tour art recycled so yeah. they took him and kind of mexican made him mexican mexicanized is that a word it is now <laughs> you know what i mean like he's in the same i don't know he's in the same pose and then they put some skulls and stuff around i'm not a huge fan of this cover no uh especially eddie's face because it's already kind of too busy Mm. in the original art and then they kind of added this like pink and green or purple and green makeup to it and i don't know it just seems kind of uh, busy to me or something yeah i mean they're only short of putting a lucha libre wrestling mask on them like <laughs> <laughs> i think that would have been pretty cool <laughs> it would actually would have there here look there's a freebie That's a good idea <laughs> if you want it nesbo will buy four um <laughs> yeah. but yeah I, I have to say i think this eddie is really poor and I don't know what it is. It's, it's, I suppose it's the face because it all lies in the face. Um, I thought the Book of Souls Eddie was the best Eddie in years. It was just I so... I agree 100%. Yeah. yeah. So perfect. And it, all the detail you want there. Actually, maybe it was other than Live After Death. I would nearly say... Oh, this is... I don't know. I'd nearly say it's the best Eddie, maybe. Well, I put that one up when it came out. I remember comparing it to the very first Maiden album where it's just... It's Eddie. You know what yeah. I mean? He's the center. It's not him doing something. It's not him in a setting. It's not him with like a bunch of Mexican stuff around him. It's <laughs> it's just Eddie, you know what I mean? And he's front and center. So I really love Book of Souls. The guy that did this one is Alberto Carantes, and he's a Spanish artist. He did the Blaze Bailey Redemption of William Black trilogy album covers and all that art. Interesting. So And Ab Absalva, he did you know, oh, yeah. some of their stuff. Uh, sure, I think enjoying. he did some of the Legacy of the Beast comic book covers too. Right. I don't know, I'm not a huge fan. Like, I'm looking at this now, I'm zooming into it, so there's some really good detail there, like there's a burning building, there's horses, uh, there's like skeletons kind of marching, um, there's like a mountain with figures on it in the background, but then there's just that poor looking Eddie, just kind of, I don't know, I find I've kind of cheapened them a bit, like, just yeah, dress them up I, in any old shite. <laughs> I agree. And in like, 
on a CD or especially on like Spotify and streaming, it just looks like a mess. Like on the vinyl, when I have like I have the that copy of the vinyl that I got from Amazon here, it's kind of cool to hold it in your hands and look at all the detail. Mm. But uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of the Eddie itself. And a lot of people were saying the Eddie with the sombrero from the October of their catalog, yeah. or not catalog, their calendar, would have been a better Eddie. But I don't really like that Eddie either. I think he's too comic, cartoony looking. So you sent me a mail there with them. Um a lot of stuff in it. I like the stained glass window, Eddie, in the sombrero with the somewhere right, in time. So when they were teasing some of these dates, they, I think that's a big missed opportunity. They had like the stained glass art and they had the somewhere in time, somewhere, no, the stranger in a strange land, Eddie. Yeah. Who's like the cowboy Eddie, but they kind of swapped them out with like a sombrero instead of the cowboy hat. Mm. And they put like a poncho on him. And he looks really cool. And I think that would have been a cool album cover. Absolutely. That stained glass stuff is some of the best art they've done in years as well. Um, yeah. So simple, but effective. Um, that would have been a cool, like there's so much they could have used from this tour art. The stained glass, like you're talking about. And you see all these pictures of like the stage with like the beast and all that stuff. I think they could have done a better album cover than this. I, I mean, it's all right. One. I like the skulls at the bottom are kind of cool. The skulls are good, yeah. Um, they kind of remind me of like things from Doom. Uh, <laughs> the, the lost souls from Doom, they fly right at your face. <laughs> um, any Doom fans out there? Uh, okay, right. But uh, that's probably enough about the cover and yeah. uh, the, the PR issues with the lack of <laughs> delivery of albums. Um, let's get into the music. So before we do, actually, though, um, they mistitled a few tracks, uh, two tracks, actually, on this album. Uh, the Clans Man was called The Clans Men. And right. to me that's a huge error <laughs> i know it's only one letter but like who, who wrote this you know who's writing that stuff yeah anyone um, proofread it yeah. yeah and then uh wicker man the wicker man wicker man is all one word which is interesting because that's a slaufeg song from 1999 they beat iron maiden to the title by one year um and it reminds me of that joke in friends like remember uh, phoebe well it's, it's when you actually text me like wickerman mr wickerman oh, right. remember phoebe and friends is like why isn't it spiderman <laughs> and shanner is like because he's a spider man <laughs> there is no gold man whatever it's like so it's like wickerman um and they haven't changed that now they changed the clans of man but they haven't changed the wickerman all one word god knows why but that's that's still on spotify uh, for me anyway yeah i don't know i guess I don't know. Someone didn't do their job. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a I'm an attention to detail guy. I don't know. Uh, that that's just mildly bothers me. But anyway, um, okay. So it opens with Aces High. Uh, that was the first track that they played on the tour on both legs. Um, and to me, to me, immediately in this song, uh, I've noticed like the instruments are right up in your face. You can hear the bass. You can hear the guitar much more. Uh, prominently, I think, than on other live Iron Maiden albums. And the crowd noise are almost the crowd is almost like gone or, or it sounds like it's been piped in it sounds like these watching these football matches these days with the fake piped in crowd noise yeah it's 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 really strange and off-putting and well when aces high came out as the first single off this the first thing i noticed was that you know that audience when it comes in i was like why does it sound so weird it sounds strange and all through the album the crowd kind of sounds really weird like that. And especially the parts where the band, you know, where Bruce stops singing, he gets the audience to sing back. Yeah. And I had it on upstairs and I was like, this sounds really weird. And my wife was like, it sounds like someone turns on a hairdryer. You know what I mean? It's like, Bruce is like, you sing it. And it's like, 
<laughs> that's it. And like, it, it sounds fake. And Ecstatic, it's, yeah. Yeah. But the worst part, it's not. If they did actually fake it, it would be better than this. Uh, they could just yeah, use I think so. <laughs> Rock and Rio audience or whatever, or rob some audience from somewhere else. Um, yeah, but it just sounds so weird. But um, the actual song itself, I feel, I feel like Bruce is struggling a bit here. And yeah, this one when, and the next one too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when when he put out the promo video of him unboxing the vinyl album, people commented on it that it, that he sounds like he has a lisp, and it might be a result of the cancer. And I had never noticed this before. But on this album, to me, he sounds like he has a lisp. On cer- certain s's, he pronounces sound a bit lispy, and, and certain ones don't. And it's like I've never noticed that before, with Bruce. And it, like you're wondering then, is it just the quality of the recording? But I noticed it kind of on that 2018 Stockholm. Um, stuck home uh, bootleg you sent me. I'm just wondering, it seems like his voice has kind of been damaged by the cancer and it's only, I'm only noticing it now. Yeah, I find his voice on this album is very like, he sounds like he's struggling, especially early on in the album. It's, I don't know, I, I think he sounded better in 2018. Actually, I remember watching the live stream of this year's, or 2019's Rock in Rio. Mm, and that it. was the very next date after these Mexican shows. And I remember watching that stream and thinking like, wow, Bruce is kind of struggling here. And he sounds mm. a little rough. And he kind of sounds like that on this album where it takes him a few songs to kind of settle in. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. He, especially, yeah, I don't know, the next song where Eagles Dare. I find he's like mumbling and try, again, a f- trying to keep in time with the music. Mumbling is, is the exact word I have written down multiple times here. And um, yeah. I um I think when there's loads of syllables, he he can't handle it as well as he used to, especially on Aces High and where he goes there. You know, Aces High is, and I just find he struggles getting all those words out. And Eagles, where he goes there, has even more words more quickly than yeah, Aces High. Yeah, and it's it's just like it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, like, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I can't make out any of those words, Bruce. Lucky I know them already. <laughs> but um, I then then like I was talking to my friend Kevin, who you know, um, and I was like. Our, like we were kind of saying, are we being a bit too unfair as well? Like he's sixty-two. I think he would have been sixty-one then when the, the album was recorded. Yeah. That is old for a singer. He's a lot of miles on the clock. Um, it's true. I mean, he's been going for forty years, uh, ish, in and out of Maiden. Uh, like that's a lot of singing, <laughs> and he's yeah. had cancer. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, and, and I'm still listening. I'm listening to it, and I'm sitting there, and I'm going, I would love to be at this concert as well. You know what I mean? Like, Bad yeah. Bruce is like he's only bad. He's not even bad, sorry. He's only um he's only deteriorated in comparison to himself because he sets yeah, such exactly, a high bar yeah. himself. But if you put him in another band, he would be in a fantastic singer. It's just that he sets such a high bar yeah. in recent years as well, he set a high bar. Yeah. Like well that's kind of one of the things I wanted to say about this album before we start like criticizing it too much. Is I do love the album and I am glad to have it. If I'm critical on it, it's only because like my expectations and my standards for Maiden are so high. You know what I mean? Same here. Like I, I love Iron Maiden, and I, I, t- I think people know that. But like, like you said, and I think even like Jarvis Letterby said on when I interviewed him a couple of months ago, is that he expects so much from them because they're the standard bearer, and they're like, they are essentially the leader. Like I'm not counting Metallica. Um, <laughs> I, I think Iron Maiden are like if you discount Metallica because I think Metallica are like almost a corporate rock band at this point. Yeah. Like, um, if I think Iron Maiden are the biggest metal band in the world, and therefore they're the leaders, and therefore you have high expectations of them. Yeah. So you, well, you they're pick, to me. <laughs> exactly. And you pick through little things that, like you wouldn't with another band. Um, yeah. Okay. But, Ace but, High, yeah. but I mean, he, Bruce is struggling on these on Aces High, I think, and on Where Eagles Dare. I think like 
on 2008, it makes me wonder why they picked this Mexico show or these three shows. Because uh, I think he sounded better on the 2018 legs. And this is show number 36, 37, and 38 of this leg of the tour. Yeah, and it's I'm show sure. number 74, 75, 76 of Legacy of the Beast. So he's well, well, well into the tour. I and, think and he sounded a little better earlier on. The climate and the altitude as well is going to destroy your voice too. I think, this is my own personal opinion, I think they chose these dates because it's a marketing opportunity to do all the Mexican crap. Um, like, yeah. It's harder to market Stockholm to, uh, to the public, I think. Like if they had to pick that show, for example. Yeah. Um, like you can't put him in bloody like what's a Stockholm costume he could be wearing <laughs> undercover like maybe he could <laughs> yeah, be a, <laughs> maybe he could be a Viking but like I think the whole red white and blue vinyl the all of the Mexican stuff the sombreros all that type of crap uh, I think it's just a marketing I, I, that's the only reason I can think of why they did it because as we both know there are better shows they could have picked from a performance standpoint yeah. anyway and this wasn't recorded for a live album. Mm. They record all their shows. Yes. And I mean, if you read the press release that came out, Steve Harris even said, like, they went through all the recordings of the tour so far to see if we could put together a live album, right? So he went through and picked, I guess they had three shows in the same place. So they had, they could, you know, say it's live in one spot and still have three options for each song. You know what I mean? Mm. I think that's why they probably pick this together because originally Steve Harris said in, I read an interview with him where he said that they were going to videotape a lot of the dates in the 2020 leg for a future video release, but those yes. got canceled. And I think this kind of is like a stop gap, oh, you know, to 100%. put something out. Yeah. hundred percent stop gap. But I, I, like you said, I'm glad they did it. I'm glad to have something as well. Yep, but um, me too. I was going to say something there. You, you touched on it. Bruce didn't know this was going to be a live album. And I think that's kind of unfair on him a little bit because maybe he would have, sung better had he maybe he would have pulled more out of the bag had he known and i remember a kind of a snipey comment from steve harris in um mick wall's book run to the hills he's talking about when bruce was leaving iron maiden in 93 and they did that raising hell video and he's like bruce was yeah. on bruce was on top form but he's always on top form when the bloody cameras are on uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah I actually, you hear those rumors of him on those final shows there's a few where he's not really yeah, given his all apparently Oh, I listened to a real life dead one last night just for comparison's sake. I, I did too. <laughs> it's horrific. I think it's terrible. I can't believe they let that slip out. Like this is a fucking a, a magnificent album in comparison to that, in my opinion. Yeah, although I think the the Where Eagles Dare on a real live one is better than the Where Eagles Dare on this version. Yeah, he pronounces the words better, definitely. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> um, without a doubt. And on, and on the Rock Am Ring show from 2005, which I sent you a clip of, uh, which you yeah. have yourself, I, I bought that as a pirate DVD in Thailand. And it's one of the best Iron Maiden performances ever. It was professionally filmed. Um, one of the best performances ever. And all of those classic songs um, yeah, that they'll never play again. Which, If you can find a copy of that or just look it up online, go watch it. It's, it's fantastic. Um, okay, so we're one song in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, one final thing about Ace's High. I think he hits the high notes really well. Uh, he can still manage that. Yeah, it's 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 weird though because it's the opening track and immediately that pre-recorded guitar track mm. comes in with the vocals because that first guitar riff is that's the album version and it's not until the second riff comes in that the actual guitars jump in. Oh, is that is that real? I didn't know that. 
Uh, I actually took the version from this album and the album version and laid them together, and of it's course. the album version. <laughs> so, because everyone wonders if they're playing that first riff off stage, but they're not. That's all part of the tape, and then they come on stage and with the second riff. All right. So, so that riff that's like that part is pre-recorded. That's kind of part of Churchill's speech, then. Uh, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. They just left to play a bit longer. That's interesting. The other thing it? is, this is from the second night of the three shows, and I looked up online and i found a few bootlegs and stuff and i think that there's better versions from the first night i think he sings aces high better <laughs> it's, it's gonna be the eternal mystery isn't it why did they choose this one um okay but uh other than that yet a bit mumbly as we said uh reaches the high notes and we're onto where he goes there we kind of have already talked about this again i have yeah. mumbly artificial crowd noise better in 2005 can't really make out words and verses. Uh, then I just have written down Bruce is 61. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, I mean, I think the band are playing really well. It's Musically, it sounds excellent, but I've always yeah. been more about singing. I've always been. And, and it's, it's just yeah. tough to hear I'm not on top form. Yeah, uh, Bruce is struggling. The guitar solos are great. Um, one thing about this mix is that it's kind of like the guitars fall into the background, but then when a guitar solo comes, it gets like they jack it up in the mix. So the guitar solos kind of jump out at you. So it's a lot of guitar solos and voice mm. layered over a loud bass and drums. Yeah, you know very, I mean? very loud bass. This is the loudest yeah. I've ever heard Steve Harris's bass, and it's usually mixed high anyway in comparison to other bands. But yeah. this is like, this is a fucking like, <laughs> it's, it's like a, a vocalist, the bass. <laughs> well, like not to get on a, a tangent, but like. Yeah. This is so it's co-produced by Tony Newton and Steve Harris. Yeah, who's that guy? I haven't heard him before. So Tony Newton, he's in a band called Voodoo Six. He's also in KK's Priest, which is uh, KK Downing and Tim Ripper Owens. Yeah, new band. And he did he what did he do? He recorded the British Lion album and engineered it. I think he recorded seventy two of the Book of Souls shows and he engineered and produced the live chapter. So this right. is his second live album. Okay. Uh, he was a recording engineer for In Vivo, and he he remastered all those Maiden reissues that were oh, a few years ago too. That yeah. guy from the from the, where he had to heat the tapes in the oven. Yes, that's him. Ah, that's him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do know him. Sorry. Um, I really enjoyed those videos. Actually, they're really interesting. Um, okay, Tony. Right. Um, I mean, I, the, oh, go ahead. Right, no, go ahead. But I'm just saying, where it's Tony Newton and Steve Harris co-producing. I think you know he's kind of just playing the engineer role. And I mm. think Steve Harris is kind of, you know, he has the final say. This sounds like a Steve Harris mix. It sounds like what Steve Harris would want to get through his stage monitors. You know, yeah. I want to hear me. <laughs> I want to hear the drums. I want to hear the vocals. And when, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like, as, as Dennis Stratton called him, <laughs> uh, Sergeant Major Harris. <laughs> and I imagine that that's what he's like in the studio. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine him. I, I can imagine him being a, a, a dictator of sorts in the studio. It's oh, just it's sure. just the way he, that's his, his public yeah. image. He's like, no, nope, yeah. it's my way or the highway. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why Maiden is, you know, that's why Maiden's Maiden, because Steve Harris. So can't really Fucking right it is. Yeah, that's like <laughs> no compromising ever at yeah, all ever. in any way. No, I don't know any other band that gets away with it. It was quite interesting to me, and I, I meant to ask uh, Robert Garvin this question, but I forgot, unfortunately. Uh, he, he talks on the Sirith Ungle documentary about how 
the producers used to dictate how they could record albums and like they weren't allowed in the studio at the same time and they had to go in separately and as a result the the sound of the album suffered and i wanted to ask him how the hell did you let them get away with that like why did that happen because like it wouldn't have happened to other bands um and it certainly wouldn't happen to iron maiden they just do whatever the hell they want yeah uh, except for martin birch when he like they kind of worship martin birch like they wanted him to do the first album but they're kind of too intimidated to ask him and yeah. when he came in, you hear those stories about him driving Bruce to scream over and over again to get the perfect take. Like Kevin Shirley's not doing that to Steve Harris. No, he's, I mean? no Steve's not. He's so I think when we, lost, when we lost Martin Birch, I think you're basically just hearing Steve Harris's production with, you know, Kevin Shirley records it. And I mean, yeah. I heard a matter of life and death wasn't even mastered because Steve no, Harris was like, no, no, that's fine. My ma- my main point though was that they're doing what they want and they don't give a, a shit what anyone else thinks. Yeah, and I, I was sure. just so disheartened to hear the, the Sarah Thungle thing where they were basically bossed around by producers. I was like, that's that's not the way it should be. Um, but anyway, um, okay, so we're on to two minutes to midnight. Uh, I thought this song is more clear. Um, and I, can o- I always think of GTA Vice City when I hear this song because it was in uh, Grand Theft Auto. Um, yeah, this is one of the songs too that I found sounded better in headphones. When I put yeah. the headphones on, because of the panning of the guitars and stuff, uh, this one, and then this is where the album kind of starts to, Bruce starts to seem like he starts to settle in after yep. the first two songs. But there's a part where the band, or where the audience is singing Two Minutes to Midnight, and it just sounds like a hairdryer again. <laughs> so weird. And I find it, I, I kind of have listened to the album enough now that I'm used to the, the, mm. the audience sound, and it doesn't bother me like it did originally. Because when this album first came out, I was like, this is weird. And now... It's only when the crowd sings, all of a sudden, it's, it's kind of off-putting to me. It is off-putting, yeah. Um, Hair dryer is a great, <laughs> great term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have written down here as a good job, but it's hard not to compare this to Rock and Rio. And I found myself doing that right throughout the album, Evil That Man Do, Two Minutes me to Midnight, and other songs. Like, Rock and Rio, to me, is the definitive Iron Maiden live album. And I think it's because of when I became a fan, really, more than anything else. Yeah. Um, but I, I find that even though maybe... In some cases, um, Flight 666 is better. I, I just think um, Rock and Rio is definitive. And when I'm listening to Two Minutes to Midnight, I'm thinking of him saying, Mr. Yannick Gers, come to Rio. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think the guitar tone is a bit different on this for some reason. I, I can't put my finger yeah. on it, but right throughout the album, the guitars sound different than they did in Rock and Rio. Yeah, I mean, you can't compare this to Rock and Rio. I mean, when I ranked my live albums, I had Flight 666, Rock and Rio was number two. Mm. And then Live After Death, Beast Over Hammersmith, you know, Made in England, Death on the Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I'd be similar with rankings. I might put Rock and Rio ahead of the other one, but that'd be, that'd be similar for me as well. Um, I just have written down here, not as bad as 1992, and I think I probably meant 1993, because <laughs> um, I, I went back and I listened to um, Real Life Dead One for this song. I'm just going to turn the page here. Hold on. I have lots of notes here. Um, <laughs> Real Life Dead One on... Um, it uh, yeah, it just didn't didn't sound that good. Now I have to say, yeah. um, I listened to every single Iron Maiden live album too since this album was released on Spotify, yeah, which oh, is really? probably a bad idea because comparing. <laughs> yeah, I just want to check classics. The right page here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're on to the Clansman, um, and I have written down here the bass is very high, um, and the crowd are shite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That pretty much wraps it up for me. (laughs) Although I think Bruce does a good job on this one. I think this is a pretty good version of The Klansman. Um, But again, I mean, there's better live versions on other live albums. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's it's just unfortunate that the crowd are shite because there's a bit like, no, no, we can't let them take anymore. And like, 
you just can't hear them. And that is so powerful in Rock and Rio. And any gig I've been to where that was played, even Blaze Baby playing it, it's such an audience participation moment. And it's, it's lost on this version. Yeah, well, that's part of what elevates this song from an album version as a live version. It's like the crowd. When the crowd comes in, you feel the power of the... And I mean, you've seen, you've seen them live play the Klansmen. Mm. When the, you know, the audience starts singing, it's like a very powerful moment in the concert. And they don't really capture it on this. It absolutely is. Um, <laughs> somebody made the point recently <laughs> online that uh, like how ridiculous it is for Iron Maiden to be singing about Scottish independence when it was Britain who were ruling over Scotland at the time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so England, close. like England, and they're an English band. And it was yeah. there, the King of England. Uh, <laughs> that was like oppressing Scotland. And they're singing a song from a Scottish person's perspective and giving people a history lesson. And it's kind of a bit arrogant, really. And I didn't really cop that on until somebody pointed it out online. I was like, yeah, <laughs> but it's a, it's a brilliant song. So we let them away with it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like Klansman is great. Like I, I, I'll never tire of hearing it. Um, my first exposure to that song was on Rock and Rio. I'd never heard it before in any format, um, and it just clicked with me so quickly. Um, the first opening lines are just it just makes your hair on your neck and your arms stand up. And uh, even even Bruce's patter from Rock and Rio is like this song is about freedom, which is something should, which should be familiar to you all, but which sometimes is not. Uh, that just it sucks me in every time. But this version is quite good as well. Not quite as good as Rock and Rio, but uh, he sings it well, I think. And yep. it makes you want to be at a gig. That's the feeling I got listening yeah. to. It. Mm. Yeah, oh yeah, I think it's a it's a good version. And by now in the album, Bruce has settled down, his voice is sounding pretty good. But this is just such a great song live anyway. Although I will say I'll always take the Blaze version of the Klansman. No way. R- yeah. Really? Over yeah. Bruce. Yeah. Oh no, I prefer Bruce. Um I have to say I I like it. It's the first version I heard. That's the problem, probably. Yeah. I'd say when I heard the the, I remember it was Kevin who bought Virtual Eleven eventually, um, and that was one of the last albums either of us bought. And uh, when I eventually heard Blaze's version, I was like, "Oh, <laughs> it's, this isn't rock and roll." <laughs> but I did come to love it now. But uh, it was initially I was like, "This sounds so um, less powerful." Is the phrase I would use? See, I just picture blaze when i hear the song and i picture i don't know i just identify it so much with him yeah and i don't know i guess it's it's the same thing too about like you just you get a certain version in your head and that's your version you know what i mean your definitive version oh that's the one yeah um actually just a quick side question where where were you as an iron maiden fan in 1998 were you avidly following the band or what were you what was the situation i wasn't you know die hard like i am now okay um i knew that rock and Rio was coming out uh i probably I, I probably can guarantee you that the rock and Rio clansman is the first clansman i heard too right so uh, when virtual 11 came out i mean you wouldn't have been first day buying it or oh i don't like think that. i had x factor or virtual 11 until like years later when, when did the hardcore fan thing kick in out of interest um in the 2000s sometime Right. Like in high school, I was just kind of a casual fan. I had like the 80s albums and actually did have Killers. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until later. Actually, when a lot of, when the illegal file sharing stuff, Napster and all that came along, hmm. that's when I started kind of deep diving into some of those lesser known albums. And that's kind of when the fan stuff started. Right. Okay. Just, uh, just interesting to me. <laughs> um, because you went from like casually liking them to being a super fan. Whereas with me, it was like, 
listening to them and becoming a super fan. That's all it took. Like it was. Yeah. Now, sorry, I, I, you're probably more of a super fan than I am. Uh, with, I mean, like, I'm, just, it's not a competition. Like, you know what I mean? But, no, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, to, with me though, like, it was like listening to Best of the Beast, and it was like these are the best band I've, I've ever heard in my life. Uh, it was very, very quick for me to make that transition. Although I was listening to a Best of with 34 tracks on it, um, so that was yeah. kind of different situation. Um, all right. Uh, oh. It is funny though. This is a little side <laughs> side story. Um, when you're talking about like who's the biggest fan and stuff, yeah. no matter how big of a fan you think there are, there's someone out there that's a Maiden fan that'll make you feel like you're barely a fan at all. Oh, of course, and I yeah. told that story before about me and Josh being in Montreal at a fan club, Iron Maiden fan club pre-party. Hmm. And me and Josh thought we were like being super cool because we we're seeing a couple of Maiden shows in the row. Yeah. And I sat down to the next to it. And I was like, yeah, we're seeing this night and then we're seeing this night and then we're flying here and seeing this night. And I was like, he's like, yeah, I'm seeing 18. And I was like, oh, that's a lot. You've seen Maiden a lot of times. And he's like, no, 18 on this tour. And then he added them up and he had seen them right back to like, I think back to the power sleeve. sleeve. Yeah. And then we were talking to another guy and he's like, I did, I stopped counting my Maiden gigs at a hundred. And I was like, oh my God. You asshole. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you listened to Metal Chat with Melissa? Have you listened to that podcast? I have, yeah. 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 She, so she can't even remember how many times she's seen Iron Maiden. Like that, yes, that's she's me. seen them right back to... Like, I think she saw them back to the killer story. Yeah, that's insane to me. And like she saw saw them seven times on Legacy of the Beast. Um, but yeah, that that's shocking to me. Like I I think I would still count it, but maybe after a certain point you you just wouldn't. I, I was at a, a gig in Gothenburg in 2016, and one of the guys I was with, uh, a friend I made within the last few years, he was at his 50th Iron Maiden show. Um since '92. First one was Fear of the Dark, and 2016 was was number 50. Um but yeah, he's he's an enormous fan. He has a T-shirt from every show he's been at, so he has at least fifty Iron Maiden T-shirts. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen him in a T-shirt of any other band, maybe once <laughs> ever. And he exclusively likes metal. He doesn't like any other songs. Oh, really? Metal is one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> so you try and play something else. He's like, no, no, no. This is shit. <laughs> but it is good to keep in mind that no matter how big of a a Maiden fan you are, like there's people like Melissa that are like, you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. They would buy and sell your ass. Um, and it's not a competition either. So. No, w- w- one thing I find about Iron Maiden fans uh, is that they're actually nice people and they're sound and they're not trying to compete with you. So like, uh, yeah, I agree 100%. That's, that's part of what I love about being a Maiden fan. Yeah, and like, it's not like, um, it's not like uh, why are you wearing that t-shirt? Do you know the barcode number on the sound test tapes? <laughs> then yeah. you're not a real fan. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, like, and I think with other bands, it is kind of more like that. Um, but Iron Maiden fans are a good bunch of people, I think, in general. Um, okay, so uh, we're on to the Trooper. I have written here, it sounds great. Vocals yeah, okay. I think this is a really great version, yeah. Yeah. Going high, um, I, th- I find he goes into a higher register in bits that traditionally don't get sung in that register. And I think it's yeah. to save himself from. I was talking to Kevin about this as well. Like, his, some of his mid range seems to be lost. Um, so I find he seems more comfortable in the higher range, and he goes into it in parts of the song that don't traditionally sound like that. Yeah, there is this like narrow high range that he kind of sticks in a lot more on this album than he's normally in. I've noticed that too, but I didn't really know how to put it into words until you just said that. Yeah, it was, it was Kevin who pointed it out to me now, but when he said it, I was like, yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's a really good version of the song. Again, a Trooper is like an evergreen song. You can't really tire of it. I don't yeah. really tire of it. Um, just brilliant. Like, it's it's epitome of Iron Maiden, really quintessential Iron Maiden. Um, I like his uh, banter with Eddie on this album, too. 
He's like, you got my, I can't remember what he says, something about him having, you've got my jacket on or something like that. Oh, I must have missed that. I didn't notice yeah. it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember he said the exact same thing when I saw him live. So he had his like, right, go-to. Yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> it's stand-up comedy, basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was kind of cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Um, and, uh, okay, look, at, I mean, you don't need to talk all day about the Trooper, but Revelations. Uh, so Kevin said to me he thinks this is the best version he's ever heard. I strongly disagreed. Now, I, I said I thought Bruce was struggling on this, and um Flight 666, a rock am ring, I think, from 2005 are definitely better. Um, and again, the crowd sounds just pumped in. Um, but um, overall, it's just a fantastic song, and it's my favorite, I think, ever yeah. uh, Iron Maiden song. This is one of my all-time favorite Maiden songs, too. And I love this version. I think it's great. But I agree, Flight 666, better. But yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's a solid version. And I think they do a really good uh, job. Again, we're comparing Bruce, you know, these 10-year intervals. You know, you can't expect him to sound like he did on Live After Death. Yeah, and it's it's quite unfair, really. <laughs> it is. It's that. really unfair. <laughs> Imagine like somebody was just like picking apart stuff you've done as like a thirty-five-year-old, and you're like, when you were twenty-five, you were way better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> I know it's totally not fair to Bruce yeah. at all, or the whole band. <laughs> and like the problem is, though, I think is that he was so untouchable for so long. He was kind of like Dio, and I I think Dio started to lose a bit of his voice towards the end, and they would tune down the songs, uh, especially about when he was in heaven and hell they definitely downtuned those songs um but he was so untouchable for so long and then when he when it when it starts to go you're like you, you, it's almost like you're panicking you're like oh, oh, oh hold on bruce dickinson yeah. <laughs> he yeah. can't he can't sing exactly like he did for the last 20 years <laughs> you know um and you and kind he, of put him up on a pedestal and then like when you see any kind of like weakness at all you're like what what's going on here <laughs> yeah it's just it's like age gets to us all eventually yeah. um but okay, I mean, but, overall, he sounds great, and he sounds great on this song too. Yeah, uh, this this song uh, just takes me back to um, I think this was the third Iron Maiden album I had. So I bought actual like studio albums. So I bought Killers and, and Brave New World. Then I think I got this one at a CD and record fair in two thousand and two. Um, so it was actually secondhand, but it was in perfect condition. I got it for like ten euro, which was a bargain at the time. And um, I don't yeah. I, so I'd had Best of the Beast, but this song wasn't on the version of Best of the Beast I had. It was on the vinyl version, but not this one. And I remember it came on and listened to it, going, "This is like such an unbelievable song. How how can they have album tracks like this of this quality when they didn't think it was good enough to include on thirty four track Best of? And it it was yeah. just shocking the depth of music that was there, like in all of the albums. There's just so many good songs that are are lurking away in those albums that don't get put on best ups, but are still some of their best ever tracks. Yeah, I know. Like, there's full albums that you really would... If you're putting a best of Iron Maiden together, you'd put, like, maybe all of Power Slave on it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> all, so it's uh, <laughs> multiple like albums. Seven, seven out of the nine on Peace of Mind probably would go on it as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, it's just funny. Uh, but yeah, that's it's a pretty good, pretty good version of Revelations. Um, so I have a couple of comments about the greater good of God. So I noticed, I think maybe this is one of the worst songs on the album from a performance um, standpoint. What, what do you think of this? I like it, but I mean, there's no other live version of this song anywhere other mm. than going to a bootleg. So I'm like happy to have it. I kind of, I kind of, I like like there's, there's some banter on here where like Bruce is like tell me about war and stuff yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of brings me back to the concert and I kind of like it. Um yeah. I don't know. I think it's a pretty good performance. I know 
I don't know. I don't, I don't think I feel the same way as you do about it. I kind of like, this is one of the ones where when I'm streaming it, I kind of go back to it a lot. But I think it's because it's a unique thing for a live album. Yeah, look, I am happy to have it, but I think the, they, they did a semi-official, they, they live streamed Download 2007, and they were playing this, uh, it was the Matter of the Beast tour, they were calling it. Oh, right. And uh, I remember they played this, and they played it excellently, and it's available on YouTube if you want to go and find it, but I suppose I'd probably compare it to that version, which I eventually ripped onto MP3 and had on my iPod years ago. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's great to have an official version of it, but there's like uh, bits in the chorus. I just feel like he isn't even singing them. Like he's, uh, he's going, tell me about war. Or yeah. then he just, for parts, he just doesn't sing. Um, and then he's like, uh, I, there's one funny bit. He's like, I have it written down at 437. He's like, um, what's the, the God bit? He's like, please tell me now what life is. What life is. Uh, Oh yeah, for the greater good of God, and he's like, any particular God? Oh yeah, <laughs> did you yeah. That? <laughs> yeah, I did. And there's also this is another one of those songs where the audience noise kind of pulls me out of it. I'm listening, and maybe I have it on in the background. And when the audience, he's like, for the greater good of God, did and then the audience comes in, and it's like, <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, that was the yeah. audience singing along, but it just sounded like a static. It does so much. A hairdryer, indeed. Um, yeah, but okay. Yeah, no, it's it's great to have a live version of it. I don't want to seem ungrateful. I just yeah. Again, anyone listening to this, I don't want them to be like these guys just trash the album because yeah. I do love the album. I'm just I'm picking it apart because I don't know. It's hard. It's my favorite like, band. Exactly. It's hard not to like. Yeah. And in my mind, in my memory, seeing them in Belfast and London in 2018, it sounded better than this. But you know, like there's obviously biased there and you know you can't trust your own memory of a concert really either like so uh, which is knows. part of the reason that i hate everyone taking video of concerts and taking you know people with their phones mm. up and stuff i'm like let yeah. me just watch it and i because i saw maiden uh five times on the legacy of the beast and every single one of those shows i remember them as being like 10 out of 10 amazing and i don't yeah. want someone to have like a really crappy yeah, yeah. Thing that they took on their iPhone, and I'm like, oh, I don't remember that. I remember it being yeah. awesome, and now I'm hearing it, and it's not that good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Let me I, make my memory and ruin <laughs> it for me. Like, I, actually, Nesbitt, it was shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I have it right here. <laughs> I, I, I've had that with Guns N' Roses. So I saw them in 2012 with the like DJ Ashbad, um, Bumblefoot, whoever yeah. else, and I thought that was a brilliant show. And, and for some reason, years later, I was tempted to go and look at clips online, and I was like, "Oh no, why? Why did I do this to myself?" <laughs> <laughs> I saw them when they had that Vegas re- residency. I can't yeah. remember what year it was. Uh, there's a DVD of that, mm. and I was there. I think I was there a night, either the night before or the night after they recorded the DVD or the Blu-ray. Yeah. Appetite and, uh, for Democracy or something. That's it. That's what yeah. It's called. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought it was a really good show. Yeah, I think he's in my state of mind. I was in like, I yeah. it was pretty good. I was in Vegas by myself at a concert. <laughs> I was watching, I think it was a clip of Shackler's Revenge from that show. Or I was, I was, I went into a YouTube rabbit hole of um, Guns N' Roses live stuff. And um, oh, yeah. I was watching a few clips from that. And I was like, I think Axel sounds pretty good on that, actually. Um, yeah. For the time period that it was. Um, anyway, that's for the Guns N' Roses podcast. Uh, so uh, we're, we're on to the Wicker Man. You can have me on if you ever want to discuss uh, Chinese democracy being underrated. Do you know what? <laughs> I was going to ask you that actually a while back. And then I was like, I was thinking I was going to ask you about this as well. I was like, just calm down. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would love to talk about Chinese democracy uh, someday. Or maybe I did ask you. Did I, did I float that idea? No, you? I don't think did so. I not? No, maybe no. I just did it in my head. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I'd like to talk about that someday. Uh, maybe, maybe in, I don't know 
couple of months' time or something. We may, and the anniversary is gone now anyway, so that, that opportunity has, has passed. Um, okay, so we're on to the wicker man, and um, I'll just I'll let you go first here. Um, everyone is always talking. Okay, I think this is a good version. The mm. guitars sound a little weird, a little bit out of sync at the beginning, but it's not a big deal. I think it's a solid version of the wicker man, but I cannot stop comparing this in my mind to rock and Rio, especially yeah. where everyone is always is talking about Nico, who's like 68 now. Mm. And how, what a great performance on this album. And I think he is playing well on the album, but this is one place where I notice when the chorus to this comes, like the rock and Rio and other live versions, when Nico plays the chorus, it's that it almost sounds like a double bass. It's like, yeah. And that's totally lacking. The power is lacking on this version of the wicker man. Right. Yeah. I've written them um, not as urgent as rock and Rio or even on vivo. Uh, urgent is one of those wanky words that a uh, music journalist use, but it's, it's the only thing I could I'd think of yeah. to describe what I meant. And, I went back and listened to those ver- versions and Bruce just sounds like he's trying harder. That's how I, I can describe it. Um, and then like the, the, um, do, 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 or no, sorry, no, the, what's the, how does the guitar go? I was doing signing across there. It's like, uh, oh yeah, the do, 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 do. It just, oh, the guitar the just outro? sounds, yeah. sounds different. I don't know how to describe it. I just think the guitar tone on this whole album sounds different. Um, yeah, the guitar tones are weird on this album. It's like they're using weird, some different... Like- pedal yeah. or something or i don't know um, and i'm wondering if that has to do with just the recording all the separate tracks from the soundboard and then they put this live album together where i'm wondering if they record it differently you know what i mean for if they go into a show knowing that it's going to become a live album i wonder if they mic everything differently including the audience like i wonder i read an interview with uh, kevin shirley talking about recording rock and rio Mm. And he was talking about how he recorded the audience at various points going back to the back of the crowd and how, because the sound, the delay of the sound, the crowd was all, he had to sync up the different mics of the audience to, you know, we need to get that full sound. And I don't think anything like that was happening with this album. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Again, they didn't know it was going to be a live album. So they probably just thought they'd have this for like posterity rather than anything else. Yeah. Um, Okay, at this juncture, I'm going to move into the bedroom. I think my housemate's friend has arrived, so it'll just be two minutes, all right? All right, okay, have to move room there. <clears throat> We're all good now. Okay. If you hear two Polish women in the background, I apologize. Um, but that's a, it's a potential hazard, but who knows? Maybe they'll be quiet. Um, okay, so we were talking about the wicker, man. And then the next song is Sign of the Cross, actually, so... Um, yeah, let, let me know what you think about this, actually. I'd be interested to hear before I say anything. I really like this version of Sign of the Cross. When it came out as a second single, I, I think it's, it's a... You know, this isn't one of those songs where I prefer the Blaze version. I do think I like the Bruce version of this better. Mm. Uh, but I think this is a strong version. I don't have any really complaints other than the audience noise. Yes, I, I think it's a very good version as well. Uh, audience noise, uh, notwithstanding. Um, but, uh, I sent you a little voice note. I don't know if you listened to it yesterday, but um, I did. The, one, the one thing I don't like about these live versions is they skip notes in like what is my favorite part of any Iron Maiden song is when they get to the end and it's after the solo and it goes in the studio version, it goes but in the live version, you go and you're like, you're missing notes there, lads. 
Uh, yeah, that like half the riff. Notes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it's a really note heavy riff, I'm going to call it. It's not really a solo. Uh, and they skipped it out. And it's the same in Rock and Rio as well. I went back and checked. But um, that's a very, very small little uh, thing. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know of any other song where they do that. Uh, I can't think of any example where they play a riff, like they, um, they leave out notes in a riff that normally would be there. Obviously, solos, like especially with Dave Murray, you, you could get yeah. anything on the night. But. Uh, yeah, you like can get riffs, twice as many are, or half as many. <laughs> riffs, are, riffs are sacrosanct. They, they should not be messed with. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that's something I never really noticed until you brought it up. But yeah, so I you're telling me, me I noticed something that you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's unbelievable. Uh, that's the real victory here. <laughs> okay. Um, and then I just wrote a little note here on that. Like, it's absolutely weird to think that at one point Iron Maiden had a different singer than they do now. Like, Bruce is so established. Um, previous previously before Blaze and now for the last 20 years or 21 years. But yeah. it's just bizarre to think that in the 90s they had a different singer. Isn't that just, it's yeah. just so strange? Like, um, it's, just, it's like you can't imagine them with anybody other than Bruce. And I, like, I love those albums, especially The X Factor. It's well documented. But um, it's just, I just had a kind of a moment when I, when I listened to the studio version. I was like, ha, they, like, they completely just went in a different direction. I don't know. I listened to the Blaze and the Diano era a lot and we did a lot of deep really deep diving on even the singers before Paul Diano. Yes, yes you did. So, you know, when I rattled through the, the five other members <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, I don't know, I I, I don't really feel that way because I kind of always have that in the back of my mind that, you know. Yeah. But I know what you mean. Bruce is such an established you know, he's the face of Iron Maiden now. Yeah, and it's more so than Steve Harris, even. Definitely, I think that as well. Yeah, Steve is kind of the background guy who all the fans know about, but like Bruce is the mouthpiece and right. in front of all the media and um, doing all the other extra activities to get him noticed outside of our Maiden. Um, but yeah, it, just, it was just weird for me. I was just thinking, Jesus, like for, for a moment there, they like they, pro they probably thought they'd never ever have Bruce again, which is it's very strange to think about. Um, uh, so actually, this is kind of at the halfway point. I wanted to ask you so we, we talked earlier that uh. You will, you will eventually have four copies of um, of this album. And this is a live album. Like, you know, <laughs> it's not one traditionally that you might have multiple copies of. Um, what, what, what size is your Iron Maiden collection these days? Like, what, what are we talking about? Like, releases, would you say? Um, I don't know. I have, okay, I have, well, I've got a room that I've got all my Maiden stuff in, and I've got, like, pictures on the wall of all the show posters from all the Maiden shows I've been to, and I have, like, a couple of shelves of Maiden vinyl, a shelf of like Maiden related stuff like ASAP, Psycho Motel, Urchin. And then I have a shelf of all the Blaze stuff with like vinyls and CDs and DVDs, Wolf Spain stuff. But then, so when it comes, I have everything on vinyl uh, as far as releases go. I, I don't have any seven inch singles or 10 inches. I'm just sticking to the 12 inch singles. And I think I'm missing, I don't have, there's a, a 12-inch single of Virus, which I don't have, and Man on the Edge. Uh, I have a 12-inch of Out of the Silent Planet en route from, I found a copy from a guy in Norway. 12-inch of Out of the Silent Planet. <laughs> so I'm trying to get all the 12-inch releases. And I don't have a real live one. That's the, the one live album I'm missing. Okay. Like uh, what is that the one where Eddie speaking into the microphone as the radio DJ, or is that a real dead one? Um, that's a real... 
Oh, it has to be a real live one. Has to be the one where he has the electricity. Cable oh, right. And sand. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I always get those two messed up together. Yeah. And then I, on CD, I think I have everything. Right. Yeah. And, and multiple versions of some. I'm guessing. Yeah. And I have the Soundhouse tapes and live plus one. And yeah. But do you have pretty... two? Do you have two versions of the Soundhouse tapes or just one? Oh, I have a one real version and then oh, I have a couple of bootleg versions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I said oh shit during that because I realized Audacity had stopped recording for me, but I have the Zoom audio, so that's why I back it up. So Audacity's just stopped and I can't get it to start again. So um, anyway, <laughs> have the Zoom, yeah. so we're all good. Um, so would you say you have like 100 Iron Maiden releases on multiple different formats? Or would you be like... Yeah, maybe. Nice <laughs> I don't know, I've never actually counted them all. If you're including Maiden-related and Blaze stuff, then probably for sure. Okay, just interesting. Okay. And, um, but I did, I'm not one of those people that's trying to get every different... You know, I have like... The first album, I think I have a Canadian original pressing there's a reissue with a picture disc and that new picture disc. Uh, wait, now am I getting confused? I can't remember. I have some released, yeah. different. They, re they released new picture discs a few years ago uh, of all yeah. the first seven. Was it first? Well, eight, including Live After Death. Yeah, I didn't like search down all those because I already had other copies of them. But yeah. Um, I'm not a completist. I'm just a, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, there's, there's not a word for fun. it. <laughs> some, some of the Night Demon fans are, are shocking to me. Like, um, just looking at their Facebook page and um, people buying like the vinyl single in every single different color that it's released in. And I'm like, I can understand fandom and even you know um, fanaticism, but like, does having a single in six different colors add anything to your life? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just more of a hobby. You know what I mean? People collect things, they. Yeah, I know, but I'm just I'm shocked. Like I'm like I just think fair play to the band for being able to sell <laughs> six like different the copies. First, the first series of the Legacy of the Beast comic books came out, and each one had different cover variations. And I ordered each each one of those each each issue. I ordered each cover variation of each issue. Okay. And I can't, I flipped through the. First up, I'm not, I'm not a comic person, book person, right? I just got caught up in the collecting of it. So I have yeah. a shelf where I have like all these comic books, and I've never cracked a spine on them. That's kind of a, I don't know. Fair I don't enough. know why I did that. And then they released a second series, and I'm like, I'm not getting those. So I was like, kind of, I could have bought some vinyl. That's where you draw the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, as, as I said recently with me, it's the video games. So you're drawing the line on the second series of Iron Maiden comics. That's Nesbitt's line. <laughs> Yeah, and seven-inch singles that are, I'm not going that, I'm not going okay, to the yeah. 45s. Did you, Just because I would open another can of worms, and I don't want to get into that. True. <laughs> did you get any new, any of the newly um, released seven inches when they were out a few years ago? Nope. No, no, uh, no maiden seven inches. Okay, I got a few of those, uh, just because I love the artwork, especially on those early ones. Um, the, uh, like, Purgatory, uh, Number of the Beast, Run to the Hills, those artworks are just as good as any of the albums. And sometimes, yeah. actually, I think Purgatory is the best art ever on any Iron Maiden release. Pretty cool. Um, but I have, have all of those on 12-inch vinyl singles. Oh, then. Yeah, oh, the, the so, first 10 years box set, is it? I have that too, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, you've got everything. Um, I'd love to see it all sometime, maybe. Yeah. Just the future. Get over here for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> the shrine of Iron Maiden. Um, okay, so... Uh, Let's get back into this. We're on Flight of Icarus. I just wrote here, nailed it. Good version. Um, I think exactly the same thing. This is a really great version of Flight of Icarus. 
yeah, and I'm so happy to have a version from 2020 because it's like, or sorry, whatever, sorry, 2019, but like, it was, it's such a long period of time between live. I think they did this on Somewhere in Time tour, and that was the last time. Yeah, so it's on live after death is the last live yeah. release it's on. So that's a, yeah, it's kind of a good to get an updated version of this. And this one's great. Yeah, I think the sneaking suspicion with fans was always Steve hates this song, uh, so he won't play it. Um, so I wonder how, like, and apparently Rod Smallwood chose the set list. I always thought that was strange to hear, um, yeah. but apparently it's true. So, well, I've heard it so many times now, we just kind of start believing it. But Yeah, um, I think it was Rod, in the fan club magazine that they said that, yeah. Yeah, so maybe Rod push, pushed for this, and if he did, uh, thank you, Rod, because this is great. Um, what I remember before I had peace of mind, um, I was in school, and... Um, I'd never heard this song, uh, again, because it wasn't on uh, Best of the Beast. And uh, there was a guy I used to be friends with when I was younger, but I wasn't really friends with him anymore when we, when we were in secondary school, but we sure shared some of the same classes. And I used to, I, at this point in my life, I was like writing Iron Maiden on all the desks and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of those people. And uh, he's like, trainer, Iron Maiden are shit. <laughs> that song, Flight of Icarus, it's the worst song I've ever heard. And um, he used to have all the music channels like Kerrang! and all those scuzz. And I never had any of those. I didn't have digital TV. And um, so he would see the video of Flight of Icarus. And he's like, oh, Flight of Icarus, it's the worst song I've ever heard in my life. And I was kind of poisoned against Flight of Icarus for, for, for not for years. So it was probably only a few months. And I, when I remember when I bought Peace of Mind, I was going into it going, well, this song is going to be shit. And for the first couple of times I played it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's really cheesy and I don't like it. But I think I had just been poisoned against it. And uh, eventually I just came to love it as like one of my favorite songs by Iron Maiden. And especially at the end when the guitar and everything and the bass is building up. It's like, that just is just a cacophony of fucking brilliance. Like, I love this song. I love it. Yeah, I love this song too. This is Josh's favorite Maiden song. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think this version's great too. It's a good speed. They, you know, I think they yeah. all sound pretty good on this, yeah. Very fast, yeah. Um, it's like almost, I'd say it's as fast as Live After Death nearly, which is faster than the album version, obviously. Yeah, I don't know if it's, I don't know if no? it should be as fast. I think this is a bit slower. Okay, I'm, I'm surprised <laughs> you haven't timed it. <laughs> <laughs> You have, haven't you? No, I haven't. <laughs> it's it's one point four milliseconds slower, actually. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, this is this is great to hear, and um, it's, I think it's nicely positioned in the set list as well because you've got like yeah. uh, the Wicker Man, Sign of the Cross, and then just like back to peace of mind and just this belter of a of a classic song. And yeah, this is such a good set list. Really good. Brilliant set list. Yeah. I, I'm I'm at pains to um to decide if it's better than the Give Me Out to Dead set list. Because um, that was the first show I ever saw. And at the time they were playing, they played something off nearly every album. There wasn't Aces High, um, but they played The Clansman. They played The Wicker Man and Brave New World. Um, and I hadn't heard any. That's my first ever Iron Maiden show. But like it was just, and then they played The Wildest Dreams, which is crap. Um, but <laughs> they, oh, that was before the album came out, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. That, was, that was a really good set list. Um, but, um, and they played Revelations and stuff. Uh, but this one, yeah, it might take it. And I, I, I love it as well because of the inclusion of both Sign of the Cross and The Clansman. Like, like they've kind of rewritten their own history and decided, no, these are classics. Uh, yeah. It's a tough shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember when me and Josh, we did a live episode of Talking Maiden and we had mm. yeah a, someone in Estonia at the, at the first show of the tour Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was sending us texts live, and we were, like, recording this podcast episode, and we're like, oh, and here comes another text, and sign of the cross, and then the, you know what I mean? And the two mm -hmm. Blaze songs kind of blew our mind. 
And then when yeah. Flight of Icarus came, I was like, he says they're playing Flight of Icarus. And we're like, couldn't believe it. I was shocked when this set list came out. More shocked than ever. And, and um, the, the, like, there's such an excitement with Iron Maiden, and I don't get it really with anyone else. Um, where, like, when I know they're going to do a tour, like, I have absolutely no chance in hell that I'm not going to look at the set list. Like, I'm definitely going to look at it because it's so exciting. But I, I wouldn't get excited really about anyone else's set list, um, except for Iron Maiden. I just get really. There's so much anticipation, and then you see they've put in a kind of um, a deep cut or a song they haven't played in years. You're like, it's just like on cloud nine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know it's true. I don't know if there's any other band where. Oh, I always do look up the set list because every single co- like concert I go to, I always look up the set list, and I always see you know what I think they're going to play because not all bands have a set set list, right? They no. You know, yeah. you see like Pearl Jam, or I remember seeing the Tragically Hip, and they just. You know, very little overlap seeing them two nights in a row. Yeah. And, uh, but it, I always look and try to figure out what the set list is going to be because sometimes if it's a band I'm not that familiar with, I kind of, uh, you know, listen ahead of time to kind of familiarize myself with the songs. Yeah, yeah. So, so do I. Yeah. And Neil Young is actually maybe the only other person because he will whip out a song he hasn't played in 40 years yeah. or something. Um, and, and the fact that he has so many songs means he can just do that forever um, because he doesn't ever run out of songs like yeah. but it, so I kind of get excited about him as well and he will change up the set list every night as well he might play like five or six or seven different songs uh, from night to night which is good um, uh, but yeah it's just it's a very exciting time when there's a new set list I actually have a ticket for Poland um, Warsaw or Warsawa as I've been told uh, by my Polish housemate um, uh, that's the first show of the next leg of the Legacy of the Beast tour so I'm hoping maybe they do have some new songs and I get to witness it firsthand. Do you think they'll play the same set list again? Um, I'm 95% sure they would. Three, I always thought it would be cool if they would drop a new song from a new album in the way they did with Wildest Dreams. You know what I mean? Just to surprise everyone. But where they have so much theatrics and it's all timed out so well, I don't know, swapping out songs, they mess up the themes, they have the three different stages. Yeah. I don't know. Three years in a row. Could. Really? Yeah. Like, like, could they, could it's they do kind that? of like, getting a bit much now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I will happily sit through all those songs again because I haven't seen them since 2018, which seems yeah. like a lifetime ago now. But um, It really does. Like, I, I don't know. Like, could they? Like, I know they're kind of regimented and it's like, now, well, we have writing cues and we have blah, blah, blah. But, like, not even changing, like, two songs. Like, uh, even with the Book of Souls tour, they stuck out Tears for a Clown and put in, what did they put yeah. in? Man of Sorrows? No. They put in something um, else. It was, oh, what's, uh, I'm trying to remember now. Come on, as we run Mastermind, <laughs> this is your specialist topic. <laughs> it's on the, uh, is it not Shadows of the Bat? Family, no, it wasn't, wasn't it? Shadows of the Bat. Oh, The Great Unknown. The Great Unknown, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was almost like going to Google it there. Um, <laughs> your knowledge saved you. Um, but yeah, like, I, mean, I, I would, like, would like to see them do that. I would knock out maybe. Um, but that was because of a lawsuit, I think. With Halloween, oh. right? But no, they, they whipped out Tears of a Clown as well. Yeah, and they, but they, what did they put in? They put in, uh, Shout out the man of, fucking, what's it called? The Great Unknown. The Great Unknown replaced Tears of a Clown, I think. What, what replaced Halloween, or what was in there instead no, of Halloween? No, they took out Halloween and they added, wait now, I can't remember. Yeah, you're right. They did take out Tears of a Clown, though, because I saw them play that. In they did, they definitely did, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, anyway, I looks like sure. they added a really early version, an early song to. Oh, Ratchild or something stupid, wasn't it? Ratchild, yeah, 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 yeah. They always add Ratchild. <laughs> <laughs> I could live the rest of my life without ever hearing that song, and I'd be fine. Um, <laughs> not a bad song, but it's like, give me like play Killers, don't play Ratchild. Like play they something. have so much early awesome stuff, like yeah. Purgatory in there. Play bloody um, play the Ides of March instead of Ratchet. <laughs> I'd much yeah. rather hear that. Rather There's hear that so like. many songs I'd rather hear. Like if you're digging into that, like yeah, you know, remember tomorrow back. You know what I mean? Yeah, that I did get to see them play that in 2005, and it was brilliant uh, with Bruce singing. Um, that's one I think Twilight I prefer Zone? Bruce on. Twilight Zone, yeah, they could play that Murders as well. in the Room Org, like any oh. of the songs. Did they, they played Murders in the Room Org as well in 2005. Uh, I think almost certain. Anyway, we're going we're going off topic here. Well, not off topic, <laughs> but off off specified Iron Maiden topic. Uh, right. One last thing I was going to say about set list is sure. I always thought like okay, Maiden, you have your locked in set list. Why not have you play through your first set? You hit Iron Maiden. You go off stage. You come back for the encore. Why not have one mystery song as the first song of the encore? So when they come back from the encore, you never know what you're going to get. Yes, I've heard. Cool. I've heard you saying that. Was that on? Talking Maiden, you said that, or yeah, I have um, said that before. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's that's brilliant. And sometimes I, I wish they would put in just a tiny little bit more effort with that type of thing. Um, but it seems to be this stubbornness that's set in as they've got older. Because back at the Brave New World tour, they were mixing up songs a bit. Um, yeah, that's true. They had those they, few shows where they played the extra songs at the end. Uh, yeah, they played Out of the Silent Planet and they played yeah. the Fallen Angel and stuff. Um, and like before that, in the past. They did mix up set list a small bit. Um, so, yeah, I wish... Yeah, sometimes wish, halfway through a tour, they'll swap a song out. Yeah. Songs. They took Dance of Death... Sorry, they took out Passchendaele from the Final Frontier leg one and replaced it with Dance of Death. Um, so when I got to see them, they played Dance of Death. I would have been happy to hear either of those songs, but, like, they just don't do that anymore. Like, like yeah, I think that was no, the last tour where they did that. Except they, they played Belfast in 2011 and they didn't play The Trooper uh, because of the political... Oh, I heard about uh, that. Right. Yeah, but they didn't replace it with anything, which was controversial because they just had a shorter set then. Um, although, when they played Belfast in 2018, they did play The Trooper, I think. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> sorry, I would be here all day. when they played in China, they had to change the lyrics to... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, well, tell me why I have to be a wicker man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's lame. <laughs> uh, although I think Bruce was taking a piss singing that, like, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, oh, the Chinese are so sensitive. Like, like, well, so they, like, we have a friend, uh, Luke, who's in China, and they have this Ministry of Culture that has to, like, approve everything. Oh, like, he did your artwork. He did. He did the yeah, artwork yeah, for yeah. our podcast. And he, uh, he's, like, they crack down pretty hard on like anything like that. Anything yeah. that's remotely like rebellious, you have to take out of the set list. It's funny, like it's funny. It's, it's, yeah. it makes you <laughs> makes you um, happy to live in a country that doesn't have that type of ridiculous censorship. Um, oh my god, totally! Tell me why I have to be a wicker man. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're on fear of the dark, and you have a little clip you want to play here. So we've been going on about the crowd noise for the. Right, so I made this clip and sent to you, and it's. It's a really short clip. It's like three seconds from different... It, the first one's from Fear of the Dark from Flight 666. The second one's from Death on the Road. And the third one is from this album. And it's just to show what the crowd sounds like. 
And it okay. kind of sums up everything about my complaints about the crowd noise on this album. Okay, so the patented Nesbit comparison clip. Let's play that now. Okay, yes, so you can hear that there is uh, a hairdryer in the third (laughs) (laughs) third cliff. (laughs) But no, the crowd noises are drastically different, as you pointed out there, yeah. Um, And uh, that is interesting. And I just, sometimes I don't know how these things slip out, like, because they're such control freaks. And they, like we said earlier, they don't compromise on anything. But then you're like, but like, how, why did you not master? for, what's it called? Uh, a Matter of Life and Death. Or like, why did you release the Dance of Death artwork? Yeah, I <laughs> or, know. Or, or why does the crowd sound like a hairdryer? Um, and <laughs> what is, there is no answer really to any of those questions. It's just like stubbornness to me, I think. Or like something. I don't know what it is really. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's strange. Lack of it's a Martin weird. Birch, lack of an outside voice saying, you can't do that, Steve. Will you cop on? <laughs> yeah, or I don't know if they just... And, and to be honest, like we're complaining with the mix pretty hard on this album and the audience noise. There's like, well, there's people online I've been reading that actually like, really like the mix on this. Most people yeah. don't, but there's some people that do. And there's one person that we both, I'm not going to say who it is, that we both interact with on Twitter that said that he really liked the mix because he liked what, you know, the dynamics of certain things that it brought out. So, yeah, I, yeah. I read that. Again, when well. we say this sucks and that's, this is great, like, it's just opinion, right? Like, I don't know. Oh, no, completely. Like, everything is opinion. The music is not objective. Exactly. It's completely subjective. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I'm very careful of adding in, in my opinion, when I say stuff now, because I was interacting with a guy on Twitter as well. Uh, you might have seen some of the messages, I don't know. And he had strong opinions on plays, but he never mentioned that it was an opinion. He stated it like it was a fact every single time. And that yeah. can get kind of tiresome after a while. You're kind of like... He's like, Blaze was this, and Blaze was that, and this album was this, and this was rubbish, and this was brilliant. You're like, thanks for letting me know the facts there, mate. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I'm always very careful. And like in the three years we did our podcast, I was always very careful not to say like, I would always be like, in my opinion, this, or I, I personally yeah. don't like this, or I like yeah. this better. Or I was like, never like, yeah. To me, this sounds great, or I think this is yeah. the best, or whatever. Like, yeah, but it's like, yeah, when people are kind of talking at you like that, it's kind of like, I'm like, he's actually a really nice guy, and I've been messaging, private messaging him now uh, a lot, and he has banned and everything. But um, it's just that uh, it's funny when people don't add in that qualifier, and it's like, <laughs> my opinion is fact. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and maybe they don't even realize they're doing it. Maybe I did it before. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so that's Fear of the Dark, and we're coming now. Coming towards the kind of final run of songs, uh, let me just change my notes. Okay, so I'm left-handed, so I write on notebooks so that I'm always at the edge of the page without the ring binder, so that I write upside down on half the pages and I write the correct way around on the other half because I cannot write with the ring binder thing. You're not left-handed, obviously, I'm guessing. No, I'm not. My daughter is, though, yeah. Oh, it's a pain in the hole. Um, So, yeah, so the the lyrics are upside down on a lot of them. Um, Or not the lyrics, sorry, the, the, the... notes uh okay so uh, number of the beast this song is to me i just don't ever care about hearing this song i mentioned before i, I go for a piss when this is on and uh, 
it's not that I don't like it. I love it. And I think it's on one of their best albums. But it's like such a... St- I, I, th- I remember you saying before, like, where Josh was talking about Run to the Hills and he was like, oh, I don't give a fucking area Run to the Hills. And you're like, you don't hate it. You're just sick of it. Um, yeah. And I think it's... I'm like that with Number the Beast. I'm like... like Rothschild, if I, if I didn't hear it again at a concert, I wouldn't be disappointed. I, I would be disappointed if I didn't hear Run to the Hills because it's such a sing-along yeah, me too. song. But Number the Beast is like, yeah, you know. I can take it or leave it. Yeah, and it's funny because I've listened to this album at least a dozen times through. And I can't really remember much about this version of Number the Beast. It just kind of comes and goes and then listen to the album. You know what I mean? So Yeah. It didn't so like bro- it. Rather than talking about the, or disappoint me. Yeah. <laughs> rather than talking about the version of the song, which I think is grand, it's like not, it's not brilliant, it's not terrible. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to talk about the actual song itself because this was the song that, you know, got everybody out burning records, whatever, um, in the eighties and claiming that Iron Maiden were Satanists. And Steve Harris's defense I've always found a bit odd because it, it's it's not great, in my opinion. Um, I think he could have defended it better. So he said, we had all these people claiming we were Satanists, and they obviously didn't read the lyrics. And that's a quote that's been attributed to him a few times. And yeah. I'm thinking, even if they did read the lyrics, the lyrics are 666, the number of the beast, 666, the one for you and me. Yeah. So, Sacrifice so, is going on, right? <laughs> So which part of the lyrics were they not reading or misinterpreting? Yeah. I mean... More so than Black Sabbath or any other band, I think it was almost fair of people to assume they might have been Satanists because, like, the number <laughs> yeah, of the beast. You just said, don't raise the lyrics, you're going to make it worse. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what kind of way do you expect people to interpret those in Middle America, Bible Belt 1982, Steve? <laughs> he wanted them to read the part about it being some kind of crazy dream, you know what I mean? Yes, but like, and I guess come on. Like, yeah. what, what I would have said if I were him, and I thought this is the, with the benefit of 38 years worth of hindsight, I would have said, you don't call Stephen King a Satanist. Uh, you don't call, like, uh, is Freddy, is the person who wrote, well, not Freddy Krueger wasn't it, is Friday the 13th, you know, is like, is, is all horror, are they all Satanists? Are they all, is anything depicting Satan or anything depicting murder or violence in an artistic way? Are all of those people sick in the head? No, they're not, but it's just artistic expression. But instead, he directed people towards the lyrics, which I think are very Satan-y. <laughs> That is true what you say, because you can make a movie about, you know, a cult that kills people. You can make, you know, you can have a play, you could do it, write a book about the most horrific thing ever. But if you have a metal song and you put it in your lyrics, all of a sudden everyone's like, oh my God, how can you do that? It's weird. Yeah, well, well they definitely used to be anyway. I don't know if, did you read Rob Halford's book at all? I didn't. I'm getting no. it for Christmas. Yeah. It's, very, it's a very good book. I, I won't spoil too much of it, but obviously you're aware of the court case where they had to defend themselves. Oh, yeah. I actually uh, just watched a documentary about that. Yeah. yeah, and like they had Rob Halford singing in court and everything. Um, yeah. But there's some really good points he makes on the, um, it's not the podium. What did I say when you're, you're speaking, giving evidence? On the, a podium, is it? Is it a podium, know. whatever? Oh, I don't know. On the stand? I don't know. On the stand, yeah. On the stand, <laughs> I think is what I was looking for. I won't, I won't say what they are, but there's some really good points he makes, um, which ends up, I think, you know, obviously you know the outcome of the case. They're not in prison. Um, there's, there's some really good points he makes, and he draws over them in the book, which uh, I think, end up swinging the case in their favor and it's it's really articulately put um but yeah i always thought it was funny that steve directs people towards the lyrics when he wants to defend this song and to me the it's lyrics well, are pretty pretty safe okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much um it's funny you were talking about like writing iron maiden on your desk and stuff at school oh yeah i got a uh, my buddy terry when we were in high school wrote, oh, terry. wrote the lyrics to uh the number of the beast on his 
one of his textbooks or one of his exercise books and our teacher side and he had to go talk to the guidance counselor <laughs> <laughs> they're concerned he's like no it's just iron maiden <laughs> they correctly thought he was a satanist <laughs> no. uh, okay um again uh the next song is iron maiden i'm never i'm never yeah. too interested in hearing this song um it's, well, I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a good version of it i'll give it that yeah but, um, and live it's all about the eddie and the you know what i mean the when you're just getting the audio of it it's kind of uh you know it's all right it's yeah. version, but I'm, it's only a highlight of the show because of the uh associated like eddie and stuff that's going on on stage so it's uh yes okay. and you know you're getting the encore then which is three more songs yeah. that you you probably really want to hear um but look, i always hate hearing this live because well, you're watching the maiden concert and then you hear one of the iron maiden and you're like no no it can't be it's over god damn it it's over and i don't think they've ever changed this this has always been the pre um well for a very very long time has been the pre encore song yeah, unless you, you know the song. time when yeah. it wasn't uh, but as any show I've ever seen anyway it's been the pre yeah. encore song um, I always wonder why Bruce changed the lyrics in this from Paul's so he's like Bruce is like I want to take you to my room I want to show you all my wares just want to see your blood just want to stand and stare and Bruce has always said want you to stand and stare um, I always wonder why he did that uh, I've never ever noticed that before have you not? <laughs> no never yeah he changes the pronoun um, or he adds in a pronoun where there wasn't one um, but yeah I want you to stand and stare uh, instead of just want to stand and stare anyway uh, I, I always wondered about that I've never seen any explanation for it anywhere um, he also changed the lyrics to Fear the Dark from when the light begins to change to when the light begins to fade and that started on the Brave New World tour oh, yeah. because hmm. he didn't change it on the Fear the Dark tour. Um, but anyway, maybe he thought change and strange was too cheesy, rhyming dictionary kind of stuff. And he oh, yeah. thought, um, I'll change it to fade. Um, but uh, Iron Maiden, yeah. I just think the lyrics are kind of nonsense in this. Um, <laughs> I'm not breaking new ground by saying that, but it's like, Iron Maiden is going to get you wherever you are, blah, blah, blah. I'm just kind of like, ah, come on. That's to yeah. the evil that men do. That'll be their name. You know, poetry. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the last three songs, yeah, are just like three of their best songs. Yeah. So, well, like, you felt like Iron Maiden's going to get you. <laughs> and then you felt like um, Love is a Razor and I Walk a Line on a Silver Blade. It's, it's just yeah, completely... <laughs> it shows how far they came since yeah, yeah, it's when like, they wrote those two songs. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. Like, and I know Iron Maiden was probably written in like 1976 or something like, and you know, it was yeah. like a statement of intent and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but like, it's just, when you compare it to other songs in the set, I just think it sticks out like a sore thumb sometimes. Um, but uh, we move on to The Evil That Men Do. To me, that's one of their best ever songs. I think that's my all-time favorite. Well. Yeah. 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 I, my I knew, favorite Maiden song of all time, yeah. Yes, I knew it was up there for you, um, and I just love hearing it. And uh, the only problem is, I think Rock and Rio is the definitive version again. But other than that, I will welcome this in any Iron Maiden setlist for the rest of time. Oh yeah, I hope this is like a staple that never leaves the setlist. I love it. It's one of those things where I like. There's a part in the song where I just like you know you raise your fist and you're just like screaming the lyrics. Yeah, and live. It's just like oh man. It's a, it's an anthem <laughs> exactly. It's like you belong. You belong in heavy metal as a fan and you just want to exactly like raise your fist and just be like yes it does <laughs> the evil do, yeah. Does live on. <laughs> yeah it's just such a solid solid song and it's a really solid version too it's it's such a great example of how far they've come 
as songwriters in terms of melodies and lyrics and structure as well. Um, it's just perfectly built and put together. Um, and I just think it's like, I probably showed that to somebody maybe, Hallowed Be Thy Name has been a tiny bit soured for me because of the whole lawsuit thing. So if somebody said, show me an Iron Maiden song, I might just show them that one because I think it's just like encapsulates yeah. everything they're good at uh, in one. I think that or Run to the Hills, yeah. Run to the Hills maybe as well. Yeah, they've just, never heard Maiden before or The Trooper. But the evil that men do, yeah, is a different, uh, a different level. I think it's punchy and it's nearly poppy as well. I'll say because it's yeah. so melodic, like, but it it, it yeah. never goes into that kind of cringy area of like we are selling out and we're writing a pop song. It's just a particularly melodic heavy metal song, and that's what I like. Yeah. About it. it doesn't it doesn't yeah. prostitute itself to pop, uh, but it has right. really good like hooks. Wasting in it. love, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Although I like wasting love as well. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it was like Iron Maiden going, right, let's get on MTV. Uh, and yeah. Let's be kind of, you know, uh, reflective and interesting and dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's just a, just a great song. Uh, can't go wrong with the evil that men do. Um, we're on to Hallow Be Their Name. Um, yeah. Well, how do you feel about the whole lawsuit thing? I know you've probably discussed it, but like you've got yeah. time to reflect on it now. Um, I don't know. It's all settled now. It doesn't really ruin the song for me at all. Uh, it was a long time ago, and I kind of feel the same way about like the first Zeppelin albums. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's you know, they. It's clearly. I feel more. I'm more concerned with like the Nomad because the yeah. Nomad is clearly musically like note for note taken. Where this yeah. is just a couple of a couple of lines in a song. I don't think it's that big a deal. They should yes. give him credit, and he should be compensated, I guess. But like, it doesn't. A couple of lines, and Steve says, I know it's probably his story. He says it was placeholder lyrics they put in, but I mean, you can't come up with your own placeholder lyrics. You have to take them from another person's song. So he clearly took these lyrics and never thought much of it. Probably didn't think the song would be so huge. Yeah. And now, I don't know. But I mean, what? it's a small part of the song. Sorry, I haven't heard that defense. He said they're placeholder lyrics. When when did he say this? Um, I think it was part of the court. I can't remember. We back when all this was happening, I actually like got the documents. After we're done this, I can email you the court documents about this. <laughs> okay. And uh, but he said, yeah, there's somewhere where Steve said that there are placeholder lyrics that he put in there while they're writing the song, and then they just stuck, and he never bothered to change them. Right. It's, just in- it's not really a very good excuse, if you ask me. No, but it's. Do you know what? I wonder if it's true as well. But do you know what? It's better than. Wholesale thievery, which I called it on Twitter recently, um, which is kind of what it is, um, and the Nomad as well. That's worse. Yeah, they just stole an entire section of a song and just copied yeah. and pasted it into the Nomad. <laughs> yeah, I know. When I heard that and I went back and listened to the original version, I was like, I couldn't believe it. Do you know what the problem is? Those lyrics and that section of the Nomad are like two of my favorite bits of Iron Maiden, and it's it's just kind of stings a bit when it um, sours it a bit. I know what you mean. Yeah, and it's like th- those lyrics are so poetic as well, and. For years, I was like, this is poetry. This is beautiful. Um, but then you're kind of like, no, stolen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I try not to think. But, you know, it doesn't, yeah. for how would it be thy name, it doesn't really bother me. The Nomad is a different story, but, like, I don't know. It's yeah. all settled now. Everyone's compensated, whatever. Yeah, I wonder how much, <laughs> I wonder how much they got. Um, Beckett, uh, I hope they're doing well, anyway, out of it. Um, but the, Steve seems a bit scabby with, with writing credits, I, I find. Um, I think Thunderstick claims to have written the Ides of March. Uh, yeah, and then get a writing credit, and then Blaze for Brave New World. It's got nothing. 
Somebody got a payoff. We got compensated, yeah. And uh, there's a couple other songs where they purchased rights from other, you know, other people when they left the band. But that one, uh, I I totally lost my train of thought. I forgot what I was going to say. Anyway. (laughs) No worries. Uh, We're talking about writing credits. I might come back to. um, No, I had an example, and I can't remember what it is now. Oh, okay. Forget. Thunderstick? No. Oh yeah, that was it. Yeah. So when they had the Ides of March, and Thunderburst were the two songs. Yeah. And when the the well, so basically what happened is the other album came out. Steve heard it, and Thunderstick says Steve Harris and a lawyer showed up and made him sign something. And Steve Harris got fifty percent writing credit on the other album. Right, Jesus, so that's like mafia stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you couldn't refuse. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like, I think, did I hear somewhere that Blaze got two hundred and fifty thousand pounds for that, or did I make that up in my own head? For that, for I don't the, know the number, world stuff. But I know that he he uh, he sunk it all into Silicon Messiah. Yeah. Which was an See, awesome album. They did that to Paul Diano as well. Though they gave him fifty thousand yeah. pounds back in eighty one to sell yeah. all of his future. Like, I, I think that's a kind of. I, I don't the know where royalties thing. I can't see you giving up royalties for that's crazy. Like, I don't know where I, that stands with me ethically or morally. They obviously knew Paul needed the quick cash, yeah. but they knew in the long run that that would fifty thousand was nothing in comparison to what yeah. those albums would earn. And they seem to have done the same with Blaze. Like, I'd say Brave New World. I think like it's definitely sold a million copies worldwide. Like, um, and like it's, uh, I don't know. I just think the payoff stuff is kind of. It's kind of low brow or underhanded or something. I don't know. It's like just let them have the bloody credit. Uh, uh, from a conscience perspective, um, you might be aware. I've mentioned it in previous um, episodes. I'm doing a screenwriting thing at the moment. Like, and a couple of people have given me lines of dialogue, and in my head, I'm like, I'm going to credit those people <laughs> for that yeah. because, like, if I didn't write it, then I didn't write it. Like, and uh, I mean, nothing might ever happen with it, but like. I just couldn't go around claiming something and have my name on it, like Harris, when it's like, it's not Harris, it's two other people as well. Like, I, I don't know, personally, with me, it doesn't stand, sit well with me. Yeah, well, that's half the reason with the Ozzy Osbourne solo albums. Oh, Jesus. Basically, like, purchased the, the songwriting from, like, everybody and told them that if they didn't, you know, if they didn't sign away the rights to them and get yeah. compensated for it, that he was going to just re-record it all with other musicians. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sure he did do that. Um, well, well, Sharon was the impetus for that, but they yeah. recorded Blizzard of Oz and Diary of the Madman with Robert Trio and some other guy uh, when it was the two original guys, Lee Kerslake and the other guy. Uh, that was the worst gangster shit that Sharon has ever pulled. Like, that's, that's serious. Yeah, I know. It's horrible when you read <laughs> that's about that. Straight out of Don Arden, like, <laughs> dangling somebody over a balcony for money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 I mentioned Sharon Osborne in the last episode. I don't know if you did you listen to it. Uh, I listened to your Christmas episode. Oh no, oh, it was in the last episode of Fucking Metal. Uh, but I was just saying, like people accuse her of like wheeling out Ozzy on stage, and she does. Oh, yeah. and she makes a lot of money out of it. Him, but I also think he'd be dead uh, if it wasn't for her. So I don't know where That's I sit true. with Sharon. But she's she's a she's a gangster. There's no question. She's horrible. Um, she used to send people a human poo in a Tiffany box if they offended her. <laughs> We did, uh, we went through, when we got into the OzFest with Maiden, that whole thing, the whole feud between uh, Sharon Osbourne and Iron Maiden, we talked about that on episode and played clips yeah. and uh, talked to a few people that were there and uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. 
I'm not a big fan of Sharon Osborne. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, and I know Josh is completely intolerant of everything Osborne. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, to the point where he doesn't even like Black Sabbath because it's Ozzy. In Black I know, Sabbath. I can't believe it. Yeah, that's a shame. Really, <laughs> can't believe that there's a person that doesn't like Black Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, do you know what I loved with um, the whole egg thing? And I meant to mention it on my episode, but I forgot. Um, at Demo 2007, somebody started throwing eggs again at Bruce. Obviously, just for the laugh, you know, just to wind them up. And he got some stage. He goes, "It's a pack of eggs, and you've had your six, which I think is um, a paraphrased um, James Bond quote. It's a Walt of PPK, and oh, had right. your. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that that came to him so quickly on stage is like <laughs> genius, brilliant stuff for Bruce. I was really proud of him at that point. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry. Um, okay, so this is going quite long. Let's let's get okay. towards the end of this album. Um, that'll be the name. That's done. Uh, so where are Run we? Run to the hills. Okay, yeah. Uh, we've got the final that. track. Wonder how much. Run to the hills. Oh yeah, so it's the final track. Run to the hills. Okay. Uh, what did he say as well? He's like he said the. Drink your milk uh, quote from John Wayne, which is a falsely attributed John Wayne uh, quote. He's like, okay, cowboy, drink your milk, something, something, something. Do you notice this? No, I didn't. At the start of Run to the Hills, yeah, but it's one of those quotes that's like, um, do you feel lucky, punk, or uh, Luke, I am your father. It's falsely attributed to John okay. Wayne. John Wayne never said this it. quote. <laughs> yeah, so it's attributed to either um, the film The Cowboys or True Grit, um, but John Wayne never actually said it. What's he say? Get off your horse and drink your milk, cowboy. That's what he says at the start. Um, and that's a false John Wayne quote for any trivia people out there, if you're interested in that. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> right, because he has a whole horse riding thing going on in the Run of the Hills when he's doing yeah. it live. Yeah, um, but uh, that's it. Like, what else did I write on this about this? Yeah, it's just it's a very good song. And it's yeah, good, it's a, a good rendition of Run to the Hills. Yeah, and I, I think for me personally, Run to the Hills always sends me home happy. I, I'm very happy for Oh, me too. Yeah. 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 Like, well, I, Wasted Years when they used to close with that, that was a good closer too. I like these upbeat ones, upbeat sing-alongs for closers. Yeah, I do too, actually. And Wasted Years was quite good. But Run to the Hills, I think, is, I think it's better in that slot just because... I think Wasted Years is very good, and I love it, but I think Run to the Hills is more of an anthem. It's like the main anthem for Iron Maiden, I think, almost. Yeah, and I think if there's any casual fans at a Maiden concert and they close with Run to the Hills, that's like the one song that everybody knows. Oh, yeah. Every tosser in the audience knows Run to the Hills, even if they're being dragged along by their husband, yeah. wife, girlfriend, <laughs> significant other. Uh, they all know Run to the Hills, so it's good. Okay, so overall, um, what do we think? You, you're a fan overall of the album, anyway. You said that earlier. Yeah, well, okay, I'll give you my rundown. So, like, okay, I love that we got a new live Maiden release, and I love the album. I'm super happy we got a new live album. Packaging is amazing. Band sounds good. But I was reading online, a lot of people are giving it a list. Like 10 out of 10s and 9 out of 10s. Yeah. And then I was kind of like, at first, I was like, you're kind of letting your nostalgia for the live show and for the, you know, seeing live concerts, mm. you know what I mean? You're, you're letting that kind of cloud your review. And you're kind of desperate for something made and you get this and you're giving it a 9.5 or 10. But then I kind of, I got the album on vinyl. I had a few Trooper beers and mm. I sat down, I listened to it through a few times uh, by myself. Like I was just looking at the cover art, reading all the credits on the inside, and like I was remembering how much fun, you know, the shows was, or how much fun the tour was, how many, how what a good time I had at the shows, and you know, I kind of love the album for that. Yeah, I guess I'm okay if people want to rate 
this album a 10 because it makes them feel good. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's what kind of live music is all about, especially yeah. live albums. Mm. That being said, I don't think overall it's a really strong live Maiden album. Yes. You know what I mean? And they I have... think like, yeah, if you, okay, so if you saw Legacy of the Beast tour, it's a cool souvenir from the tour and I can see people loving it for that reason. That's the reason I love it. Mm. If you're a collector, the packaging is amazing and it's yeah. a great one for your Maiden collection. If you're new to Iron Maiden, or if you don't have any live albums, I would say get like 666, Rock and Rio, In Vivo, Live After Death before you buy this. Yeah, you know, I yeah. can't see this being a very popular live Maiden album in 10 years from now. I think it's going to be with like, it's going to gather dust next to you. That's on the road, kind of. Dead one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no one's going to reach for Knights of the Dead if you want to hear a live version of Sign of the Cross. They're going to go over it for Rock and Rio. Correct. Yes, I and agree. With most of these songs, there's better live versions on other albums, with the possible exceptions of like Flight of Icarus and For the mm. Greater Good of God. But uh, yeah. it's kind of cool. It's unique. It reminds me of an awesome tour. You know, it's just, I don't know. A video release would have been better because this show is all about the stage and the theatrics and costumes and inflatables. And when you strip all that out and just have the audio, yeah, it's pretty good. Seven out of ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as Toomey would say, absolutely. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, a video release has to come. I mean, I'm sure it will eventually, maybe 2022, yeah. maybe we might get it. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. Like, you hear a lot of people online saying Bruce sounds better than ever. And like, I think like the media have done a, a 180 on Iron Maiden in the last 10, 15, 20 years. In that, they're, I think they're the heavy metal darlings now of the media yeah. you'd see the guardian reviewing iron maiden and they give a five out of five and they're like bruce is sounding better than ever and you're like that's just not true like yeah i said earlier that music is subjective and not objective but you can be objective about the vocal performance of somebody comparatively speaking comparing it to something 20 years ago like i think you can be objective about that yeah and objectively he doesn't sound as good as he used to like there's there's no way around that like and then like people say nico's drumming better than ever as well and like i didn't i don't really notice nico but from other people i do trust who know their drumming and stuff they've said but he's not really like uh, so i think people it's kind of the mania of it i think um sucks people in and, and they spout out all these platitudes of like <laughs> you know bruce is sounding better than ever yeah. made blah 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 and like I think it's, you can still be kind to the band and say it's a very, very good album and it's a very good performance without going overboard. And that's where I stand. I think it's, they're still really good. They have certainly not deteriorated to the point where I think they should hang it up or anything close to it. Oh, yeah. No, um, I agree. Like, they're not like the Rolling Stones or anything. You know? like, they can <laughs> yeah. still play their instruments and still sing and they can still do it. Um, and it sounds great. And it sounds very, very, very close to their best stuff. But it's not a top-tier album. I agree with you. And it'll sit somewhere in the middle to the lower end of the live album discography. Yeah. And in a I'd say, time. I would say it's a solid non essential live release. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like it's the fanfare has been huge. And like you mentioned at the start, it's because of probably because of the pandemic and there's been nothing from them since 2015. Well, sorry, there has, there was the live chapter. Sorry. There's been nothing from them since 2017. And, uh, we wanted something and then we they gave us and i think they over delivered in the, the packaging and what's inside the actual vinyl which i only know from bruce doing the second box opening thing on, on youtube yeah. but that looks great like on, on fair play yeah the like, packaging is amazing yeah yeah they really really put in the effort with stuff like that yeah. and the, this the extra things like the patch and all that type of stuff is that's good it's crap as well like you know to have um, but i think yeah overall performance isn't brilliant they've done a lot better and um solid but 
it's it's maybe solid, but like maybe in six months, as you said, people won't be reaching for it. Yeah. So I would say it's a, a seven, but that's an Iron Maiden seven out of ten, which is equivalent to like a nine point four of an. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, all yeah. right, look, uh, we've gone nearly two hours here, unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry I've taken up a lot of your day there. I know it's the middle. And of the I'll day, talk about Maiden all day, any day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's great to have you on. As always, uh, you're very popular with the listener. I have to say. Um, your episode has done better than any of the bands I've had on, which you might be interested to know. Oh, really? Fe- wow. and Metal, yeah. So uh, Nesbitt is um, very popular with uh, the Feck and Metal listener. Um, so thanks again for doing it. Really appreciate it. Um, and I think I'll leave it there. So cheers. Okay. Thanks. Okay, so that was Nesbitt. And for those of you who stuck with us through all of the podcast, I greatly appreciate your time. As I said at the start, the sound quality is not the best. My voice sounds really deep and strange and unusual, and I apologize about that. I couldn't fix it. I did try. I tried my best to try and fix it, but it just wasn't possible. So if you did stick with us, thank you very much. Um, That is going to do it for this week on Talking Maiden. I won't keep you too much longer. None of my heavy metal news or trivia or tidbits this week. I'm just going to end the podcast here. But I will say uh, next week I'm going to be speaking to another podcaster. You might know him. His name is Uncle Steve from Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. So we're keeping the Iron Maiden team going for next week on Feckin' Metal. And the following week I'll be speaking to my friend Kevin Daly, who was my guest on my first ever episode. And we're going to review five years uh, worth of attending the Sabaton Open Air Festival in Fallen in Sweden. So if you've ever been to that, you might be interested. If not, uh, we have some interesting stories and funny incidents. And um, there were also a lot of good bands that played at Sabaton Open Air during those years. Um, so you might be interested to have a listen to that. That's coming in two weeks. Next week, it's Uncle Steve. I've been Fergal Trainer. This has been Feckin' Metal. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Ah!